0: Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF. I'm one of your co-hosts, Michael Popak,
1: and I'm Karen Friedman Agnifilo.
0: And Karen and I have a action-packed segment today. We're going to be talking first about Judge Carter's decision in Eastman versus the Jan 6 Committee, in which he found it was more likely than not than the, that the President of the United States committed the crime of obstruction, and what that all means. We're then going to take on an update of the new york attorney general tish james's attempts and efforts to get donald trump don jr and ivanka into a room under oath for a deposition in her ongoing civil investigation and we're going to conclude the midweek edition with the what's potentially a cover-up of epic proportions to rival watergate the missing seven hours of phone logs at the White House for the president of the United States, Donald Trump at the time, on January 6th. And what it all means from a prosecutor standpoint, and you know who's gonna be providing that viewpoint, KFA, our resident in-house former prosecutor. Karen, how are you? I'm really good, thank you, how are you? I'm doing great, I see, a, I see the backdrop. Are you, are, you, are you back from the hinterlands of upstate <laughs> New York and handling defense cases?
1: Yes, I'm back in New York City. I was in court all week.
0: So while you were being a practicing lawyer, of course, I was too. I had a rough weekend, Karen. I had not one but two major filings, uh, one before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reply brief on behalf of a client that we filed at almost midnight last night. And a uh, amended complaint in the same case. And then another brief that was also due because you know, judges don't care about my calendar. They just pick dates that make sense for them. and everybody said yesterday. And so I had mm-hmm. a I had to do that. So when we're not having fun with podcasts, and again, I'm sure if you and I could find a way to make money doing this, real money doing this, <laughs> we would do it only. We would do it only. But we would lose our we would lose our our touch, our instincts, our skills. exactly. That, yeah, that comes from being. In that courtroom. So let's talk about first, um, starting almost chronologically in order from the week, Judge David Carter, who Ben Masalis, uh, my other anchor for the weekend edition of, of um, Legal AF, <clears throat> talked about extensively in a prior podcast, was it was having to decide over the last month or two this very interesting but esoteric issue about whether John Eastman, formerly a law professor at Chapman University, who was also apparently Trump's consigliere for all things overthrow, authoring all things obstruction, his go-to lawyer, his Tom Hayden, was John Eastman, who came up with some cockamamie—and that's a legal term—some cockamamie theory about why the. Uh, electoral vote count act from like 1887 or whatever was no longer applicable and could be suspended so that Mike Pence, Mike Pence could stop the count and send it back to the states. We all know from a constitutional and, and legal analysis that that was full of hot air, but he was pushing it at the time. So these emails, he had 111 emails that he refused to produce to the Jan 6 Committee, and he filed a court action. This this is this is great because um, it ended up right in his face, blowing up right in his face. He filed the court action. So the Jan Six Committee had a file briefing to convince the judge that none of the emails are privileged. No attorney client privilege, no attorney work product privilege. And as we reported two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they filed the Jan Six Committee filed a brief that said there's another exception that allows these emails to go to the Jan Six Committee, the crime fraud exception of the attorney-client privilege. Because if you and the lawyer are engaged in conversation that's also potentially perpetuating a crime or fraud, that's an exception. So they argued, Donald Trump is an obstructionist. And what did Judge Carter do about that, Karen?
1: So it, this is a very interesting case because first of all, I think the emails weren't these didn't, didn't Eastman refuse to turn over his emails. So then they subpoenaed Chapman university's emails and these were emails from the university and yeah. Eastman yeah. objected to, to those emails that they, that were Our from privilege. the university on, yes, privil- asserting, on asserting privilege. So yeah, so he was just refusing to do it at all. But so, but, but the, the university, which by the way, I'm from California, born and raised. I went to UCLA undergrad. Oh. I had never heard of Chapman university, which I'm embarrassed. Maybe it's this yeah. great university that everybody knows about, but I thought, how do I Shout not know Shout out to about Chapman it?
0: university. We are not here to cast aspersions at that No, university. not at
1: all. I, <laughs> I just was so, I just didn't know what it was. It was very interesting. So I, I learned a lot during, during this whole process. It's a, it's a conservative leaning university is, is something else that I learned, but But interestingly, what the judge did here was this is this is sort of a simple case on its face. Right. It's it's not a civil matter. It's not it's not a civil action. It's not even a criminal action. It's literally a decide whether it's a very limited decide whether certain emails are protected by the attorney client privilege. And so and that's all the entire scope of this of this matter. It's a subpoena
0: enforcement case.
1: Exactly. Which is, yeah. I don't know about you, but 44 page decision that could be the subject of a, an entire law school class. Just this decision, I thought was was really interesting because he really took the time to go through. You have to go to 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 determine whether something falls within the either the attorney client privilege or the work product privilege, they don't look at sort of a category of documents. The judge goes document by document, email by email, and makes an independent determination as to each of them. And most of them, I think over 100 were, were um, determined not to be attorney-client, and I think only some were. But in order, or, or I should say to be turned over um, that, um, as part of the privilege. And only some were withheld. I think it was like nine of them or 10 or something like that, some some very small number. But what was interesting was, as you said, they go through the analysis of first, is it an attorney client? Is it part of the privilege? And to do that, they have to go and say, well, was this made to an attorney? Yes. Was this made for the purpose of hiring the attorney? And I think there was an eight-part test of what is the attorney-client privilege that the judge went through to kind of educate people. This is what the attorney client privilege is. And for many of these documents, he found that it was part of it was it was protected by the privilege. However, it was. Uh, It fell within what you just described as the crime fraud exception because the crime fraud, otherwise, anytime you wanted to commit a crime, you just go find a lawyer and do it together. And, you know, none of those statements could come out in a, in a conspiracy case or anything else. If you could just do that, you can't be shielded by the fact that, that, that you have an attorney. You know, there's one
0: inch. Can I can interrupt for one second? There's an interesting thing I learned about the crime fraud exception that I probably knew in law school, but forgot. It's not necessary to prove that the lawyer, knew that he was being used to facilitate a crime or fraud. It's enough that the client was using the lawyer and getting information and communicating with the lawyer about a potential crime or fraud. So a lot of times when we shorthand it, we, we make it sound like it's only the situation where the lawyer and the criminal or the defendant are having a conversation about perpetrating a crime. It's enough that the, that the, that the client thinks that they're perpetrating or is Trying to facilitate a crime or fraud. Sorry to interrupt with that. I thought that was no, important.
1: no, no. I th- yeah, that's important point, and I think it's interesting because you could you could imagine a scenario where a client goes to an attorney and says, you know, here's a suitcase full of cash. Will you help <laughs> me launder it? And the attorney turns them away and says, no, I will not do that. As as you point out, that would not be privileged, even though because the attorney didn't do anything wrong, they did the right thing, but that is not a privileged communication. And I think that's a good point. But back, back to um, what I was saying was, uh, with the crime fraud exception, because the judge found that, or had to analyze whether certain communications fell within that, he had to first determine, did a crime occur? Was a crime committed? And that's how we backed into the statement that you started this with, right? Which is that the judge found that it was more likely than not that Donald Trump committed a crime while president of the United States, which isn't that the first time in history that that's it it, in
0: the entire republic of 230 years, a president in office has never been found by a federal judge or any judge to have to. And but I want to 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 have committed a crime. But with one exception, and this is where our civil versus criminal hats come into play. The judge is not finding by a beyond a reasonable doubt the criminal standard that it is likely that the president, Trump at the time, committed the crime of obstruction. I want to I want to be clear about this. He is finding it is more likely than not the civil standard, the lower standard. Now, I'm not trying to bail out Trump, right, it's right, the feather on the on one side of the scale or the other, the balance scale. I'm not trying. I don't want anybody to think, and anybody that's listened to 50 or 60 episodes of the show knows I am not defending Donald Trump or his conduct. But I wanted to be clear: if we're being accurate and transparent with our audience and with the legal Afers who are who are following us religiously and carefully, it is a lower standard for the judge to have made that declaration, as shocking as it is, than if he was a prosecutor like you used to be with a heightened burden, right?
1: Yes, of course, but I will say he didn't just make the assertion. He then spelled out in excruciating detail uh, many pages of this decision of why he thinks a crime was committed. I mean, at one point I, when I was looking through this, I thought, "What? What is taking uh, certain prosecutors so long?" Especially with the in Georgia with you know Raff, Raffensperger, you know that that whole just fine, go find the eleven thousand you know votes. I mean, so much of this was leading up to the, the the judge was talking about the sixty plus court cases where Donald Trump between the election and January six, where he and his Team tried to get uh, um, courts to rule that there was fraud, and saying there is no fraud, and all the different. It was zero
0: for sixty. He was the he he was he was the Washington Generals. anybody that used to follow the Harlem Globetrotters. He was the (laughs) Washington. He was zero and sixty in his case.
1: Yeah, so exactly. So so the judges pointed out how how he was told whether it was in a memo from the White House Counsel, whether it was whether it was Pence telling him, no, I can't and won't do this, whether it was judge after judge after judge saying there's no fraud, um, whether it was uh, the, the Georgia secretary of state saying, no, I'm not going to Can,
0: just I, can I ask this. you a question as a prosecutor? I have two questions and one question and a follow up. I <laughs> feel like mm-hmm. I'm at the press conference of KFA. First question, <laughs> first question. And I and I've been a big defender of. <sighs> Merrick Garland and the DOJ in this area primarily under the thinking that it takes a long time and things are done in secrecy that I don't want revealed about the pace of of investigations and prosecutions however <laughs> the jan 6 committee seems to believe that department of justice is dragging its feet and is waiting around for a referral from the jan 6 committee to do its job when they shouldn't they now have a federal judge put on your prosecutor's hat which i know you probably never really take off <laughs> but Put it on for a minute. You've got a federal judge, as we said, as you said at the top of the show, who for the first time just found on any standard a sitting judge to have committed a crime. You have the Jan Six committee who laid it out in their brief. That's where the judge is getting it from. In a very detailed brief that was filed the end of February, they laid out the entire case for the judge. This email, this email, this tweet, this email, this tweet, all from Trump to Pence to Eastman, back to Eastman, to Trump, to Meadows, and all the like. The the case is there. the 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 presentation of the case, the opening statement, the closing argument is there. Why why hasn't? Do you think? A Do you yeah, think look, the Department of Justice is prosecuting it? And B, if they have it, why aren't they?
1: Well, then you also have this judge who also said, I think he committed three different crimes, right? Right. He said it was Congress to, you know, attempt to to obstruct Congress's proceeding uh, to count the electoral votes in violation of 18 U.S.C., 1512, sub C, sub two. I mean, the judge even gave the specific subsection of the crime by crime of all the different. So What's going
0: on with the DOJ? That's the question.
1: So I think a couple of things. I think um, I don't know whether it's Truth or perception, but he really is Teflon Don. I don't know what it is about this guy; he gets away with everything. And and because it would be the first sitting president ever, it's it's you got to be a sh- hundred thousand percent sure, and you you want to have every single detail locked down. You want to have every phone record subpoenaed. You want to have every um, person spoken to every. Bank record. I mean, every single thing, because you have to be sure and you want to make sure it's that it, it you're right. I mean, it's this is historically a significant event if he gets if he gets indicted. I mean, it would also potentially prevent him from running for office again. I mean, it's it's so significant that I think my my thought is they're just being extra, extra, extra sure. And yes, these things do take time, but I, I think it's time, and I think they are—they are investigating it. But you know, they're also don't forget Joe Biden campaigned on "Let's heal," and "Let's come together," and "Let's put the past behind us," and "Come together as a country," and stop being so divided. You don't know what what message they're getting about how important this is and whether to, to move forward on this. But well,
0: on that, on that point, and then I want to ask you a follow-up on that point, And I've reminded, um, at, at prior podcasts in a different time, in a different era with a different president who also committed crimes while in office at Watergate and Nixon, the incoming president, president Ford decided it was the best interest of the, of, of the unity of the country to pardon Nixon yeah,
1: of exactly. all of
0: his crimes. And they were bad. <laughs> they were as yeah. bad in some circle. I know people want to ma- not the Jan six attack on the Capitol. Separate from that, Nixon's was pretty bad. Go back in your history yeah. books and books yeah. that and Bernstein and all of that. Um,
1: Speaking of Woodward, he's coming up in our, in one of our yeah, stories. Yeah, we're going well.
0: we're we're, to, it's coming full circle. Thank God, Bob Woodward is still with us and still at, at an intrepid investigative reporter. But my point is Ford, President Ford, immediately without real, I mean, I, I'm sure he thought through it, pardons Nixon. Nixon goes off and does what every other former president does, except for this one, which is basically disappear until about 15 years later when he gives a series of interviews with David Frost, but doesn't do anything to destabilize democracy or the the republic. That was the old days. The new days is everybody wants Trump's head on a pike because, as you said, he's gotten away with it and gotten away with so much for so long. Now, here's the follow-up question. Trump knows because he's not an idiot as much as people He's many things, but an idiot, he is not. He's crazy as a fox. His main defense so far seems to be, I didn't have the criminal intent. I didn't have what we refer to in the business as men's rea, because I really believed what I was being told by the John Eastman's of the world, the Mark Meadows, the Steve Bannon's, the Sidney Powell's, the the Jenna Elwood's, whatever her name was, the Rudy Giuliani's, that I had a good faith, legal basis uh, to um, believe that I had actually won in the election, it was stolen from me. Okay, that's his obvious defense. To this day, as recently as yesterday on Twitter, and what? well, no, he doesn't use Twitter, on Truth, whatever the thing that nobody, nobody watches that he uses, and in letters that he types out on a typewriter. He keeps, to this moment, he said, and in, and in reaction to this decision by Judge Clark, he says, the election was stolen from me, I believe that, and the Democrats are, you know, treasonous and going after me. Why does he continue, knowing what all the judges have said, including Judge Clark, knowing about all of this, why does he continue to double, triple, and quadruple down on the big lie? Why?
1: Look, this judge specifically said and ruled in this decision, disagreeing with a law does not allow you to violate it. And it's clear that he disagrees with all of the rulings and all of the things that you have pointed out. He disagrees that Pence didn't have the power and the authority to do it. He disagrees I mean, I I think he just disagrees and just can't wrap his head around the fact that he is wrong. And on top of that, when you have lawyers like Eastman, who has a pretty decent resume, I mean, I you know, he if I remember, I think he um, hold on, let me look at his little. I I took a few notes about him. I mean, you know, he he's you know, he he's a guy who I think went to an Ivy League school and, you know, he served on all these. I think he unsuccessfully ran for office at one point. I mean, he's he has a pretty um, impressive resume to someone like Trump. And if you've got people like him and he he surrounded himself with people who told him this is how the law can be interpreted. And then at the same time, he, he has all of his supporters. I mean, don't forget, nearly half of America supported him and would say to him, uh, you know, would, would sort of continue to fuel, add fuel to his fire. I think he just, I don't know, convinced himself of some sort that he's right and he just can't accept Reality. I don't know. That's what I think. I, I I can't pretend to be in his head. I don't know why he would go on like this.
0: I have a different theory. <laughs> I have a different theory.
1: Well, you understand Trump then much better no, than I do because no, I don't understand. I, so I, think, I would love God to I hear don't. what your theory is.
0: Here's my theory. He knows. He knows the Menzella defense is bullshit, but he cannot turn back. He's painted himself into a corner. He can't now. There's no upside. To him saying, you got me, you're right. I knew I surrounded myself purposefully with jokers, clowns in the legal profession, to call it that, to give me this this kind of advice that I wanted to hear because I just can't accept losing. So he's never going to say that. And if he's going to have any shot, you know, there is a shot he could be prosecuted. I mean, whether it's like you said, it's a, whether it's in Georgia or whether your old office grows a brain and does something. Well, you know
1: who you know who I think is going to prosecute him? Uh, I think it's going to be the Southern District of New York. So you've got the Department of Justice uh, by Merrick Garland. uh, And then you've got these U.S. attorney's offices all around the country. And in New York, we've got I think um, I think we've got three or four different U.S. attorney's offices in in New York state and one of them is called the Southern District of New York, and that's in Manhattan and uh, the Bronx and Westchester. And they often it's it's for short, it's SDNY, the Southern District of New York. But some people call it the Sovereign District of New York. And it's sort of a tongue in cheek term that is used to describe them because they have always done their own thing and don't necessarily uh don't at least appear to necessarily um, only do what uh, the Department of Justice. But the elite um,
0: squadron of trial lawyers.
1: Yes, yeah, the be- the best lawyers. Uh, it's it's a badge of honor to have worked in the Southern District, and and the people who have worked there pretty much write their own ticket after that. I mean, it's it is a very elite office, and. So I'm hoping that that they will put on their sovereign district hat and and at least investigate it. If you know, look, at the end of the day, as you point out, it's a different standard, it's not preponderance of the evidence, it's not more likely than not, it's beyond a reasonable doubt, which doesn't mean beyond a shadow of a doubt, it doesn't mean beyond all doubt but it means beyond a reasonable doubt. So a doubt with which you can affix a reason. And so they will analyze it hopefully at that level. And if there's a case to be brought, I think they would be the one to bring it um, both based on where they're located as well as uh, you know, and Trump is here, yeah. but also because of, of who they are. I'm also hoping Georgia steps
0: up. You yeah, know, because I think sorry, that's well, a clear cut case. Fawny Willis. I'm, I'm all in for Fawny. By, so by the way, just, really
1: quick, I found my notes on on Eastman um, because there was two things I remember I wanted to mention. I couldn't remember what they were, but now I know why I wanted to mention him. He was a, just because everything comes full circle in our discussions. He was a law clerk for Guess Who? Supreme Court law clerk for Guess Who?
0: Well, he's too old to have been for Clarence Thomas. So no, who, no. Who? It said
1: for it said former Clarence Thomas clerk.
0: He's that's like, what it said. He, he's only like well, five look, years younger than Clarence. Well, Thomas. you
1: know, I'll, I will. I'll, <laughs>
0: I'll
1: I will uh, I will I'll double check. But that's what I saw. And I also saw that. Um, that he was the person who wrote the op-ed in August of 2020 that Kamala Harris was not an American citizen, which, you know, that mm-hmm. they're recycling that they're recycling these. You know, it's it's like what they, Arthur, it's the, pl- the yeah, it's the play. It's the playbook against people of color. You yeah. know, it's it's whether it's whether it's Obama or, or Harris, it's the same playbook and they all recycle the same arguments.
0: So not to lose the thread. And so, so we can move on to the next segment, Judge Clark has ruled Eastman has already announced, along with Chapman University, that they're both going to comply with the order. Trump is no standing, so he's not going to be able to. We don't have to worry about a Trump appeal because there's no he doesn't have standing to appeal. Yeah, He wasn't uh, he, even
1: on those emails. He was BCC'd he, on two uh, of them, I think.
0: And he would have to have intervened already. It's too late. And so uh, but these these hundred and one documents are going over to the Jan Six Committee. And we'll report back on that. Let's move on to just really quick
1: before you move on. I just want to say one quote that I thought was brilliant that this judge um, that this judge said, which was that January 6th was a coup in search of a legal theory. And I just thought that was it was pretty stunning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The back and forth emails between Eastman and Mike Pence's um, chief um, chief attorney in house, you know, in in uh, East Wing attorney we were also fascinating. We brought them. Ben and I brought them up before, where, where basically, Pence's lawyer in house told uh, Eastman, "It's this bullshit theory that you've come up with that has gotten us in to this violence and this mess." And he's he's saying this. The email timed timestamp is is at the moment that the insurrection has boiled over and attacked the Capitol, and uh, he did not mince words. In protecting his client mike pence let's talk about donald trump don jr ivanka and the new york attorney general we have on one hand something we'll pick up on the weekend which is joe biden no surprise as the president holding the executive privilege has waived the executive privilege and has said to uh ivanka and don jr oh you you don't have any privilege i hold the privilege it's waived you can testify go ahead in front of the jan 6 committee we'll wait That's another we'll talk about that another day, but we have a civil investigation going on also in New York led by Letitia James that we've talked about for the last 45 weeks. And now it's reached the point where a judge in the New York State Supreme trial court level in February ordered that Don uh, Donald Trump, Ivanka and Don Jr. sit for deposition in the civil case. And they've argued, no, you can't do that. Um, This is a politically motivated, get rid of the prosecutor. Um, uh, They they can only criminally prosecute me through the grand jury process and and all sorts of other bullshit. And uh, they took the appeal to the first department. And now Tish James has filed her brief to the first department. And why don't you update uh, briefly our audience on that?
1: Yeah, so this is the same investigation that we've talked about uh, on a couple of podcasts. It was the parallel joint investigation with the Manhattan DA's office into the under and overvaluation of assets and income, depending on who your audience is, you you say that things are more worth more or worth less depending if you want to avoid paying taxes or or take out a bigger loan. and And so it's that parallel investigation and uh, basically the parties have pressed pause in enforcement of, of all of the various requests during the appeal. So they agreed to that. Is that common in civil cases, Popok, to for parties to sort of do that? It, it not seemed a, very friendly.
0: Yeah, not in a civil case, but in a um, civil invest. I've been on I've been on matters where there's a civil investigative agency on the other side and everybody knows this is going to be taken up on appeal. And they know that either the judge is going to stay it pending the appeal on a motion or otherwise, and a sort of short circuit it. The parties just agree. All right. You don't have to show up on Tuesday for the deposition. Go do your brief. I'll do my brief and let the uh, inevitable uh, appellate court render the decision. So it's not the, it's not unusual. Civil, civil, not not investigative. Two parties against each other. Very unusual.
1: Oh, OK, so that that's the difference. I was going to say it seemed very friendly, but now it makes sense yeah. what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Somebody would have to move in court to stop pending the appeal. And, you know, it probably would be granted. I mean, a trial judge would be going, what's your grounds for it? All right. I'm not going to make it because once the deposition happens, the bell is wrong. It's over. So, I mean, I do see why we should wait for the appellate decision on that. But that that's the answer to your question.
1: Yeah. So basically, so so the where they are is now they're. Taking an appeal and asking um, Attorney General James is asking the appellate court to uphold the lower court's ruling that would require uh, would require Donald Trump and his two of his three children, um, Ivanka and Don Jr., to sit for a deposition the way Eric Trump already had to. Uh, and what what the lower ruling was and what happened with with Eric Trump was he um, took the fifth, you know, and I think he did it, what, 500 times during that, you know, because you have to you have to take that. You have to assert your Fifth Amendment privilege question by question. You can't just blanket say I take the fifth right. for everything. So you so sit to there- remind
0: everybody or to educate everybody, uh, every 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 person has and has a um, right under the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution against self-incrimination and you can it certainly in a criminal case you cannot be forced to uh, or compelled to testify or or provide evidence even in some certain circumstances against yourself in a civil setting right. in a civil setting you can take the fifth you can you take the walk down 5th avenue as as people like you and me like to say but there's a negative inference that can be drawn from it that a court or a jury a finder of fact can um, imply a negative inference to that assertion. That's why it has to be done not blanketly, as you were as you just outlined, but question by question by question. Some people might say, he sat there for 8 hours and gave the 5th amendment answer 500 times. Yes, because they methodically went through. Why? Because if they're ever in front of a civil jury, they can say it in, and to the question, uh we asked Eric Trump, did the Trump organization artificially inflate its assets in order to secure larger loans? Answer I I respectfully decline to answer on the grounds that I might incriminate myself. Aha! Negative inference. You can put that in our win column as a yes,
1: <laughs> right? So That's interesting, what a negative cause it, cause, inference is. But, but you as you point out, you can't do that criminally because you Not actually criminally. have the right, right? You have a right to remain silent. I mean, everyone's heard the Miranda warnings, you know, anything. Exactly. You do say can it be, used? but and you're right. And your your assertion to remain silent cannot be used against you, but it can civilly. But They're let me civil. ask you a question. Wait, wait, wait. How so, about this? So,
0: you are sleeping with your secretary, aren't you? I refuse to answer on the grounds of the Fifth Amendment. You look to the jury. You say, put that down as a yes. So, yes. so that's a.
1: That's okay.
0: <laughs> I've done it. <laughs>
1: well, so the, well. Hopefully, not the sleeping with your secretary part. You no, mean the assertion no, part? Uh, come I'm, on. Kidding. I mean, I'm kidding. I'm no. kidding. I'm joking. Right. It's a joke.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so <laughs>
0: after the Oscars, there's no more joking allowed oh, by God. two people at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that was another. That was a, what a week it's been. What, yeah. a, what a week. That was a shocker. Um, I watched it live. It was it was surprising live. I will say. Yeah. But back back to our back to what we were saying. Um. Uh, I have a question for you. Sure. So say say, you're, say you are having your hypothetical deposition where you're being asked, you know, about the crime and about uh, the crime that potentially you're being accused of and the person takes the fifth. What if the lawyer, because there's no judge present during a deposition, right? It's just the lawyer. It could
0: be a special master. I mean, in some of these high, as you know, as, on some of these high profile depositions, a party can request that a special master I've had special masters appointed by the court sit in the room during the deposition. I've had judges sit in the room, agree to sit in the room as the special master, as a referee in case objections come up, especially when it's something that it's this constitutionally pregnant. That's the bad term these was, days. Was, was there constitutionally someone in- implicated?
1: Was there a referee or special master in the Eric Trump one? Do you know? Yeah, that's a when, good question. Took... I
0: don't I don't know that we should look at it offline and see if we can find that out.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I guess one question. So let's say if there is no referee or even if there is, let's say they they the they start to uh, take the fifth on matters that they could be um, uh, prosecuted for. But let's say, as you said, it does veer off into, isn't it true that you slept with your secretary or that sort of thing? And no one's going to prosecute that. Those are just sort of immoral or, or private sort of things. Are, what are you can you take just the fifth? Do you have to answer the question? Like I, I just think uh, it's I mean, if, for if it, people if, to know. If
0: it, if it veers off into, I mean, just just another lesson here, teachable moment. You're teaching me, so I'm asking because I'm I'm
1: really Karen. Not you. I want the
0: audience. (laughs) No,
1: but I want to start. I want to start doing civil work. Oh yeah. Okay. No problem. I think it's you know sort of interesting.
0: So, you know, every every uh, civil discovery matter is bounded by what is either relevant or reasonably calculated to lead to the discovery of relevant information. Sometimes we shorthand it as: is it probative? of a certain issue in the case. And if you're, if you're in a deposition, and I've been in many, and all of a sudden they start getting into, wandering into things that are not relevant or, or they can't really sh- with a straight face argue is even reasonably calculated to lead to the discovery of relevant evidence. Then you stop the deposition. You tell the court reporter to mark the transcript because there's a court reporter in the room. You go to the judge. Some judges, you can pick up the phone and ask for the, uh, the law clerk or the judicial assistant, hello, uh, Judge Jones's chambers. Yes, we have an important issue that's developed in the deposition of X versus Y. Can We need to talk to Judge Jones. And the judge, hello, yes, what's happening there? And then, you know, okay, judge, I'm taking the deposition. Here's the Q, here's the A, and uh, I believe, and then the other side argues, and the judge says, you're you have to answer that question or I. So you always your, have
1: to have a judge on call, basically.
0: Yes. Yeah, so if you can't get them on call, you mark because of the since covid, it's been harder. You mark the transcript, you leave the issue, you move on in the examination and then you re, you, you file your motions and letter briefs or whatever you're going to do with the court. Court makes a ruling and you go back a week later, two weeks later and finish the deposition on that point. So there are boundaries and limits. Now, again, it's not everything has to be relevant. The judge isn't making a decision on the ultimate admissibility of the evidence at trial, because reasonably calculated means it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be relevant at this moment. That's not my burden. My burden is to show that this piece of evidence, Your Honor, this, this fact that I'm trying to elicit the answer to is going to lead me in good faith, my representation, to a piece of evidence that will one day be admissible at court. So it's links in a chain. But I don't have to be like well, I don't have to fight courtroom admissibility at the deposition three years before the trial.
1: So I don't know if I'm allowed to tell the story. Uh, <laughs> do it. Um, well, hopefully you'll hopefully once I tell it, you'll you'll <laughs> still be glad that you said do it. Uh-huh. Uh, but so because I want to learn how to do depositions and I want to do civil work, One day I thought, you know, I'm going to watch a deposition and I'm going to do watch my very first deposition. And I look on our firm, our our law firm calendar and (laughs) tell me if I should stop.
0: No, You can go ahead.
1: OK, I look on our law firm calendar just curious, are there any depositions going on today? I know and, where this is
0: going. <laughs> yes, you do.
1: And I, I, I swear to God, it was a complete fluke. And I look on the calendar and I see that we are doing a deposition of none other than who?
0: Kanye West.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and I see that Ben Myselis was the lawyer on the case. But he was not doing the deposition. The deposition was being done by a lawyer who I had not met yet. Now my co-host, yep. Michael Topak. <laughs> so I am like, oh, my God, it's a Kanye West deposition. What a great <laughs> first deposition to watch. And I will say it was one of the most entertaining and somewhat sad because he yeah. is very clearly I, I don't know if you're well, allowed I, to say that. Well,
0: let's not go. But, let's not go that far. Uh, okay. I, 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 he, about, he was, we, we'll talk he was, offline on his you're, on you're your right. personal. You're right. We'll talk view. offline. But yeah. but it
1: was very interesting, and I will say, he was not an easy witness, <laughs> and you clearly are a master at knowing how to control the witness, which is something you have to be able to do as a trial lawyer or or as any kind of lawyer, but just your ability to control a very difficult witness and stay on point and stay on message and not allow the witness. He's very smart, uh, very, very smart man. And and he tried to control the deposition. And then after what, 12 minutes, 15 minutes,
0: the the screen
1: went blank. (laughs) Fourteen minutes, the the screen (laughs) went blank.
0: And for those that find this fascinating, all you got to do. I never thought I never thought I would say the next words. All you have to do is put into Google Popak and Kanye and it will pull up articles at the time about that leaked out about that particular deposition it's, and you and you'll get more details but I, it's yeah. funny that you say it that way that you watched it and and look look at the destiny of you and I becoming friends I and know, co-anc- right? co-anchors I know. together but i actually had a summer law clerk who was still in law school and an undergraduate clerk at NYU who, who helped me get ready for the deposition in terms of materials. And I had them both in the room because you know it was Kanye West. And they, when the lights went down and the thing was over and, and everybody was off camera, and, and I turned to them and said, I've been doing this for over 30 years. I don't want to disappoint you, but that is the best deposition that you will ever see.
1: Yes, ever. I know. They're not like this normally. Sure. They're for so sure.
0: boring normally. I don't want you to think that every deficit, but the fact, could you imagine like you didn't he didn't, he didn't the, even
1: want to he didn't want to answer. You you couldn't get past. So typically when you say to someone who is testifying under oath, raise your right hand, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth? That? Yes. Please state your name for the record. My name is Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Please state the county of residence where no, are I, what, I where you, he lived. OK, whatever it was, please state <laughs> your address or, or where do you live? That that is supposed to be an easy question. You never got past that. You literally never got past yeah. that.
0: Yeah. At one point, I told him we have seven hours together. This is going to be a long day at this rate. Um, but let's turn. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I didn't realize at the beginning it was going to involve me. I, I appreciate. I again, didn't either. It
1: show- this was unplanned. <laughs> it
0: shows that the the makings of this show, this Wednesday midweek edition, was formed in the crucible of this fascinating deposition read more online let's move to the last segment it's worth th- reading
1: more online is the video available online no. did it ever get it. okay <laughs> no. well there you go because that no. would be no. that's worth the price of admission anyway
0: <laughs> let's, speaking, story number speaking three. of prices of admissions last story the Jan 6 Committee and Bob Woodward has reported through the Washington Post. And thank God Bob Woodward is still at the Washington Post in his late 70s and early 80s, still reporting and having access to amazing sources and leaks and all sorts of things to do his reporting. That the Jan 6 Committee, in piecing together the official phone log, not the recordings, but the written log that is supposed to be by, by public record, by National Archive, by requirement. Is supposed to be kept of every phone call that goes into or out of the White House during a given day. They have determined that there is a seven hour gap and not on any old Monday or Tuesday on January 6th. The Not just any the- seven
1: hours of January 6th. No, 11, 17 six,
0: 1117 a.m. until 654 p.m., which totally coincides with the attack on the Capitol. Now, the
1: attack was from twelve fifty three to five forty. No, it's Perfect. literally the six hours. It's the seven hours yeah. around the six hours of so, the attack on the so Capitol. The,
0: the first call, the only call that's recorded that morning, the first call 1116. He's basically Trump's ordering like a yogurt. And then at 6.54, he he tries to connect a call with Dan Scavino. In between, and, and knowing that there is additional reporting out there, including Jan 6 confirmed evidence through other cell phone records and interviews of 300 people that they've done, that he definitely had phone conversations with Mike Pence, with Mark Meadows... With uh, Senator Mike Lee, and quite likely, like ninety percent likely, with Giuliani, Eastman, and Bannon, who were holed up in the war room at the Willard Hotel while all of this was going on, and not Kevin one Kevin McCarthy and Kevin McCarthy, yeah, one thousand percent, and not one of these phone calls is recorded on the phone log because Tommy, he,
1: Tuberville, Tommy Tuberville or Tuberville,
0: Tommy Tuberville, who was with whatever who was with is. Mike Lee. It was yep. with Senator Mike Lee. Now, now I'm going to put, put your prosecutor hat back on. You have, we have, we have confirmation on one side of the phone that these phone calls took place. You don't have them listed in the phone log intentionally, I would argue at all, which means he's either using his cell phone, somebody else's cell phone, or, a burner phone, which is a disposable phone that's been handed to him for that particular moment, which uh, somebody just recently um, on national TV said that he had a discussion with Trump about burner phones. Now, you're a prosecutor. There's a gap in the phone records. There is a concealment of activity. What do you do with that fact?
1: I mean, first of all, the fact that the word burner phone and president of the United States is being used in the same sentence. I mean, burner phone is used in like episodes of The Wire, you know, like that's right. what that's what that's that's where the term burner phone comes from. That Did you see Bill using... Crystal?
0: Did you see Bill Crystal's tweet?
1: I didn't. I didn't. Bill,
0: Bill Crystal, a conservative Republican columnist, said that I don't know what a burner phone is, which is Donald Donald Trump's defense yesterday is is right up there with the famous Nixon. I am not a crook.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't know what a burner phone. I mean, no. everyone who's watched right. a single crime drama knows what a burner right. phone is, right? right? It's it's it is what it is. But so what what would I do with this? I mean, it's first of all, as Bob, I would do two things. First of all, I think Bob Woodward pointed out he he not he didn't just look at the call records from uh, January six. He looked at uh, many, 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 many uh, records, call records of, of the Trump presidency. And Trump was a frequent phone user. In fact, he talked on the phone. He, he was known to not email, but he was known to talk on the phone. And if you look at sort of the patterns of, of his phone usage, it was, there were no other seven hour blocks of time, especially other than sleeping perhaps where, where he was not making, uh, many, 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 many phone calls. So you have number one, you look at patterns and you, you, you sort of look at, does this make any sense? And I think Woodward used a, some kind of a uh, a phrase, something like you know, um, it's as unlikely as the sun not rising that he wouldn't use the phone during, especially a crisis like the January six insurrection. So number one, that's that's number one. I would do as a prosecutor is I would have that analysis and I would I would show the jury that his pattern, call patterns and past history would show logically that he would be on the phone. The second thing I would do is I would look for confirmation from these. You know, when you talk to someone on the phone, it's not just you, it's the person you're talking to. So I would look for the usual suspects and maybe get their phone records and see, you know, sort of where those calls are coming in. Um, You know, the ones that you just talked about that we know of because it's been reported, but I would look at others too, the ones that are more probable and look at their phone records and see if there's a common number that's coming up and try to identify this said burner phone or said other person's phone who he was with. And then the third thing I would do. Is at trial, I would ask uh, the jur- i would ask the judge to charge the jury on this wonderful little, uh, this little charge called consciousness of guilt. And um, if somebody, if some, if you believe, you could, you, the judge would say to the jury, if you believe that the that the defendant in this case would be Donald Trump sought to conceal evidence, you are allowed to consider this as consciousness of guilt. In other words, they're both basically saying, okay. I know I did something wrong, so I'm going to try to hide it. An
0: innocent person does not purposefully fail to record phone records if they don't think they're doing something wrong. Exactly.
1: Right? It just makes no sense. That's right. It makes no sense. And in this particular instance, given what we what we all all that we know, I think it's very clear here that he was trying to. I mean, you know, I I He he had started a coup. I mean, he had put all the all the things in motion for January six. You know, everything that he did between the election and January six, I I think I think going full circle, I think Eastman um, had a four scenario war plan laid out for him for January six. And that was one of the documents that they wanted to claim was, was privileged or work product that shouldn't be turned over. You know, this was, this was a strategy on how to successfully um, accomplish this coup and this peaceful kind of laying down of the sword um, at, for a peaceful transfer of democracy the way George Washington did. You know, this is again, I'm reading, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what was said in that, in that 44 page, um, page decision. Um, but, you know, it's it's it was so clear that there's so much evidence of of this ultimate crime, uh, you know, crime of, of all of the he was laying the groundwork, laying the foundation. They had a, a, a war game strategy of how to do this. They did do it. They went to court. They tried all these things all, all up until trying to get Pence to not certify um, the electors, you know, doing all these things that were were just absolutely not permitted, not allowed, and then encouraging people to stop the steal, stop the uh, certification of the electoral votes. I mean, it couldn't be clearer. I don't understand why there hasn't been a prosecution, but hopefully. Oh, so,
0: so let me speak directly to Merrick Garland, <laughs> the Department of Justice. Uh, let's ask our producers Am I on camera one. OK, camera one. It is time you have a federal judge who has ruled this week that it is more likely than not that President Donald Trump committed the crime of obstruction. You have all of the evidence that's been assembled by the Gen 6 Committee, some of which has been, has been already previewed for the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland in case he was asleep in filings made both in the Eastman case and in other cases. You have, you, you have what happened in Atlanta, which is basically public record. You have You know about the New York Attorney General, and the, and the uh, Manhattan DA's office prosecutions, you know what's happened in the Manhattan DA's office. So if you thought they were going to take the lead for you and take the heat for you, they're probably not. You you may wait around for the Southern District of New York, which is part of the Department of Justice, but not main justice, or you could do your job and bring the prosecution. This is the first time in 45 weeks or 50 weeks that Michael Popak has looked the audience in the eye and said it is time for Merrick Garland to do his job and prosecute. This is not gonna heal the country by not prosecuting. All it's gonna do is allow Trump to, to get away scot-free. And it's not fair and it's not right. And it's not what this Republic is based on.
1: Beautifully said, beautifully said. Pope enough, Mark. it's like enough. It's enough already. And the, the only other thing I will, I will add to that is just from just from a lay person, when you you sort of read about the Manhattan DA uh, investigation and prosecution, that's a little archaic, right? And that's a little, you know, to me, that's a tougher case. The case that can be laid out about the insurrection and the events leading up to this insurrection, to me, that is a compelling case that can be and should be proven and brought, and I think, I think you can prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt. And and I agree with you
0: And and enough already, because if this was just about healing the country, if that were even possible, like healing the earth, is that possible? Then Biden who say what you want about him if you're on the other side of the aisle, but you know, he's a, he's a person that, that is an adult that wants to be a peacemaker and wants to be like FDR with fireside chats. Then he would just wave a magic wand and pardon, just to be clear, the person receiving the pardon doesn't have to ask for it and doesn't have to agree to accept it. If the president of the United States, if Joe Biden said, for the good of the country, I am going to put an end to all of this, I am magnanimously going to pardon Donald Trump for all, and then I'll have a slideshow for all of these crimes, one by one. That is, that is at least somebody's doing something. But if you're not going to pardon him because you don't believe in your heart of hearts as the president of the United States, that it's appropriate to do that. And you want to see justice done, then look down the hallway, the department of justice and make them do their job. So Karen, <laughs> that's a highlight of our week. Um, I know. Yeah, you know, we started, we started our cultivating of this episode when it, in real time with like, let's do Will Smith and Chris Rock. And then we're like, and then and then the federal judge declared Trump a criminal. And we said maybe we well, should focus on that.
1: Exactly. I mean, there there was one uh, question that did come up in Twitter about the Will Smith and Chris Rock thing, though, that we can answer fairly quickly, which you, is you
0: do it. Then we'll end the episode. Good.
1: OK, it was just and I just thought it was an interesting question. And the question was, can the uh, LADA's office or the LAPD investigate the assault or the slap of um, Chris Rock by by uh, Will Smith without if let's say Chris doesn't want to press charges because it was reported he doesn't want to press charges. And then the LAPD said we will investigate if Chris presses charges. And the question is who brings charges? And and I thought that was an interesting question. And certainly putting aside that case, just in general, what uh, worth, worth just sort of a a one minute answer, and and interestingly, in a civil case, it's a, it would be Chris Rock versus Will Smith, and you know you have a person's name, a V, and then a person's name, because a civil case is really a person versus a person, but in a criminal case, uh, at least in New York, um, it's the the people, the people of the state of New York versus. the the individual who you're prosecuting. And that would be the same in every state, you know, the people of the state of California, or if it's a federal prosecution, it's the United States government versus the individual. And what I always told all my victims and witnesses who may be afraid, you know, especially in, in sexual assault cases or domestic violence cases, you often had, you often had people who were afraid to come forward and afraid that there would be revenge or retaliation against them for cooperating with law enforcement. And I used to tell them, but it's not you versus the individual, it's the people of the state of New York versus the individual. It's not your decision. It's actually the government's decision to bring the case. And that brought not only comfort to certain people, but it also allows a case to be brought. It allows you to subpoena someone's testimony. So I thought it was a little strange that the um, los angeles police department uh said um we'll we'll decide we'll see if he decides to press charges because that's not really a thing it's really it's just on national television it was recorded it's you know it's basically they, they if they wanted to they could easily make their own determination and as i tell people all the time in every murder case you don't have a victim you don't have someone pressing charges because that person's dead. And the government steps in and presses right. charges on their own. It's true. It yeah, it, it yeah, actually no, I know. Is. Right. and somehow, and somehow we we're able to prove those cases without a victim and without the testimony of a right. victim. And often they're the only person who is in the room with the other person without so a live without
0: a live victim testifying.
1: Without a live victim testifying. So I, right. the point my point is if I thought it was a little too cute by half to say if he wants to press charges, we're here. Yeah. That, that gets them out of it. And it's fine. I'm not saying you should be prosecuted. But this is the Hollywood in some patrol
0: this is the it Hollywood is. I, I was, I'm, I'm, right. I'm not
1: opining that he should or yeah. should not be prosecuted it it is you know everyone it's been it's been analyzed to death and I'm not going to analyze uh in any way what happened I just wanted to answer that I thought really good mailbag question that people yeah. several people asked us to answer is whose decision is it so so thank you for the opportunity to answer <laughs> that question
0: that was mailbag <laughs> ladies and gentlemen that was mailbag so we've reached the end you've been listening to the midweek edition, the Wednesday edition of Legal AF with Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Agnifilo, And we're going to do it all again this time next week. Karen, what do you think about all that?
1: I love it. I think it's all great. Right.
0: <laughs> Me too. And right, we'll see, to you see you next week. <laughs>